Have you ever wanted to peek into the dark corners of history and see what you find? Luckily, you've come to the right place. I'm Teddy. I'm Katrina. And this is Grave History, a macabre history podcast. Good afternoon, friends. Welcome back to Grave History. Um, it is a windy and wet day for both of us, I think. Sure is. Yeah, windy and wet. Yeah, that's the good summer weather. <laughs> it's peak toad weather at the moment and I'm enjoying oh, it. I bet you feel right at home. I've seen so many toads, it's fantastic. We found some frogs in our like water butt down the bottom of the garden. Aww. And that thing is like three, four foot high. I don't know how they got in. They will find a way. They're sneaky little fellas. But we did rescue them, so oh, that's, that's nice. something. Mm. But yeah, they they went in a little pond and now they're fine. But what I meant by what I wanted to say with the whole weather is it's actually finally perfect spooky weather. It is. You're completely right, yeah. This is, this is better spooky weather. And once again, we're not telling ghost stories. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, kind of ruining it, aren't we? <laughs> We're wasting this yep. precious weather. No, this time we've got another historical tale. Yes. yes. A very sort of appropriate historical tale, if you will. Yeah. Yep. Although technically also a historical tale that isn't purely historical, but we will get into that. Mm a bit later. What we're talking about, as we mentioned at the end of last episode, is uh, cholera. Yes. Specifically, the 1854 cholera outbreak in London. Yeah, and I don't know a lot about it. Um, like most topics you seem to pick, I'm like, oh, this is interesting, I'm going to learn with you. <laughs> so I'm very interested to learn. And I learn with you, so we're very symbiotic here at Grave History. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what you might not know is that the 1854 outbreak was part of the third cholera pandemic. Right. Mm-hmm. So that means it was happening all over the world? Yes. So Ooh. pandemic on its own usually just means multiple countries, which is mm. why you can use the phrase global pandemic, which seems like tautology, but technically isn't. Yeah, I used to not know that. <laughs> but yeah, you can you can use it because pandemic just means multiple countries, as opposed to epidemic, which is uh, one place. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those differences they've been teaching us all uh, lately. <laughs> it's the perfect time to learn it. Mm. So this was part of the cholera pandemic of 1846 to 1860. In total, there have been at least seven pandemics of cholera, the last of which is kind of current, according to um, the World Health Organization. Oh God, where's that happening? Uh, Haiti, mostly, but also um, right. it's endemic to uh, Nepal and India. Yes, okay. Right. Endemic just meaning it's a, uh, a what's called a reservoir for a particular disease. As in it, it, it can't leave a particular area? No, as in it spawns from there. Right, okay, okay, okay. So in terms of like video games, think of it as a spawning point. So just to clarify before we continue, cholera, should we talk about that a little yes. bit just to explain what it is? Please tell me all about cholera. <laughs> I will. It'll probably be too much. No, please. By the way, 
No one listen to this episode while you're eating. Uh, yeah, yeah, great idea. Um, <laughs> Especially, as will become clear later, uh, if you're eating or making rice. Rice? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, I'm intrigued now. Just take my word. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, cholera is a waterborne disease, which is spread by food or water contaminated with the bacteria uh, Vibro cholerae. Mm. I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's an acute diarrheal infection spread by fecal to oral transmission, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what it sounds like, and can kill within hours if left untreated. Within hours? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It remains a global threat to this day, as I mentioned before, with cases numbering between um, one and four million a year. Oh, God. And deaths between 20,000 and 140,000. That is one of those illnesses that I always think is being, like, gone. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like um, I don't know, what do we... Like, polio Smallpox. or whatever. Smallpox, yeah. Yeah. But it often coincides with poor sanitation and overcrowding. Right, exactly. Um, which is why it often appears in, for example, refugee camps. Yep. So symptoms can take between 12 hours and 5 days to manifest, Mm -hmm. but bacteria is present in the faeces from 1 to 10 days after infection. There's going to be a lot of faeces in this, aren't there? Yes. Mm. I mean, it's a poop-related disease. It is a poop. It's a poop disease. (laughs) I think that's the medical term for it, yes. Yeah. And when this is shared back into the environment, it passes very easily onto others, usually because the infection or the the infected poop... (laughs) Is going back into where people are getting their water. Just going to giggle at the word poop every time. <laughs> Listen, it'll make things easier. It will. The reason it can kill so quickly is because you are essentially vomiting and diarrheaing all the water in your body. Yeah. And it can lead to very severe dehydration. Mm. However, that also tells you how to treat cholera. It is extremely easy to treat, mm-hmm. to the point where doctors often don't resort to antibiotics to treat it. Oh, okay. So... Yeah. Simply, all you really need to do is just treat the dehydration that comes from its symptoms. Um, and eventually it will just flush itself out. So just drink water and stay in the bathroom? Yeah. This is, according to uh, the excellent podcast, Sawbones. Oh, yes, yes. Which have, they have several episodes on cholera, um, all of which are excellent to listen to. Mm. But this is usually enough to cure the person on its own. However, as with many diseases, especially the one we're discovering, we're not discovering, dealing with currently, (laughs) many people who have the disease are asymptomatic. Yeah. With only some showing the common symptoms and fewer uh, still getting severe enough symptoms to actually die at the speed we were seeing, which shows you kind of how many people have to have cholera for there to be millions of deaths. Yeah, okay. Right. But, comfortingly, according to Doctors Without Borders, there is around a 1% fatality rate from cholera if the infection is treated properly. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Same with a lot of illnesses also, I gather. It's like, I, I remember watching this video in primary school about, I think we were learning about the developing world or whatever the, the yeah. project was called, and there was a girl in the tape who was like, both my parents died of diarrhoea. Oh, jeez. Everyone in the class started laughing because obviously we all knew what diarrhoea was. We were like, diarrhoea, it'll mm. kill you. And then our teacher shut it off and gave us a very stern lecture about how <laughs> actually... Yeah. Oh, it's like there's a, there's a video by Caitlin Doty. Yes. Where she talks about, you know, the worst ways to die. Yes, no, no, I, I know the one you mean. <laughs> yeah, but she mentions one where um, people fall into a uh, septic tank. 
and you know your initial thing is haha drowning in poop but then you're like oh wait not only did the first guy die but then someone went in after him to try and save him and they also died yeah so this family lost two people within hours and it's a pity it's such a surface level comic sounding death because that is a really fucking horrible way to go oh yeah yeah absolutely but to bring us back to this poop-related yes. thing... Please. So the first three pandemics all start in India, stemming from the Ganges. Right. So the Ganges is an intensely important river in India and specifically in Hinduism. Right. And it's also a, a lifeline to those who live along it, mm. with around 400 million people living along its length. Mm-hmm. However, as we know from when people live along rivers... It's very highly polluted. Yeah. Um, oof. Yeah. Um, around the same kind of level as, as I'd, I'd assume, the Thames during the Great Stink. Oh, God. <laughs> mm-hmm. So human and animal waste is dumped into the river alongside corpses, both cremated and not. Yes. The rec- more recently, you end up with uh, plastic and um, other just basic human life waste medical waste that kind of thing medical waste but still also corpses <laughs> so sounds not unlike the I, I mentioned this on the witch episode but sounds not unlike the norloch in edinburgh which doesn't mm. exist anymore thank god yeah uh, but although, although that was a loch not a not a, a river so at least a river has flow i guess yeah it's the only thing i remember from pocahontas <laughs> mm. the problem with the ganges being i mean besides the fact that on its own it is polluted mm. is as i mentioned it's extremely important to uh, Hinduism, where it's, as far as I understand, worshipped as the goddess Ganja. Or oh, Ganga. it's oh, it's like an animistic thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know anything about Hinduism. <laughs> That's okay. Neither do I really. Okay. But people will travel to to this river, right? Either on pilgrimages or for um, festivals and bathe in it. Oh no. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the poorer people living along its length, depending on it for water. So washing water, drinking water. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen... They usually include this in documentaries about India. They have, mm. they have shots of the river and then people just kind of wading out into it after they've told you all, yep. the, all the stuff that's in it. And so you can watch it and be like, no, get out there. Mm-hmm. Get out of the river. Don't wash in the Ganges, you're so sexy. Yeah. <laughs> So with this level of pollution, the Ganges is responsible for many waterborne diseases and subsequent deaths. Yeah, God, not just cholera, but waterborne diseases, they be nasty. Mm, They do. Mm. There's no nice waterborne disease. No. So the first pandemic, that takes place between 1817 and 1824. Cholera at this point was already endemic to the Ganges. Mm -hmm. So again, just means regularly found there. It started in a town called... Now, I didn't look up the pronunciation because I'm stupid, but I think it's either Jazor or Jazore. Okay. No, I'm going to go with Jazor, but which is roughly between Calcutta and what's now Bangladesh. Okay, okay. okay. Um, and it's believed to have been spread by contaminated rice. Because rice is grown in water. Yeah, and also washed in water and cooked in water. I remember that from Mulan, yes. Mm-hmm. Thousands died, including British soldiers who were in the region, And the disease spread across the country into Sri Lanka. The infection spread to Afghan and Nepalese soldiers fighting against British forces along India's borders. Mm -hmm. It spread by land to Myanmar and Thailand while simultaneously spreading 
by sea to China, Japan, Java, the Philippines, Sumatra, and South and the Southeast Asian mainland. Oof. British troops spread it to Oman, where it travelled into East Africa, and into Iraq, Syria, Anatolia, and touched the south of Russia. So everyone was having kind of a bathroom weekend. Yeah. Hmm. However, uh, a very harsh winter between 1823 and 1824 stopped it spreading any further into Europe. But this was the first case of cholera spreading outside of India. Okay, right. So that was what I'd call a pandemic, but not a global pandemic. Okay. I mean, it was it was a bit global. It was a little bit global. A little bit global. It's definitely a pandemic in that it's in multiple places. Yeah. But it didn't quite get to America, Australia, or Western Europe. And those guys always have to be included. Yeah, bastards. Unsurprisingly, this did lead to a lot of anti-Asian racism and xenophobia. Oh, really? I wonder what that's like. I know. Believing that Asia, Hinduism, and India specifically were dirty and always disease-carrying. Are we surprised? Uh, no. No. No, I am not. No. <laughs> so, second pandemic. We get two years off, and then it's back again. Huh. So this one lasted from roughly, I mean, all these dates are kind of rough because it doesn't fully go away in between, but it's just not a pandemic anymore. Right. Okay. So this one roughly is 1826 to 1837. Okay. And it's not really known where it started this time. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So some medical historians believe the first pandemic had lingered in Indonesia and the Philippines. But this, this second one is mostly contributed to the Ganges again. But as we said, there is a lot of racism tied in with the spread of this disease. Yeah. So we don't know for sure. But from here, it spread along trade routes throughout India and then out appearing in China, Japan, Iran, Afghanistan. It appeared in Russia and then Poland by 1831, leading to Britain placing quarantine orders on ships coming from the region. Oh man, can you imagine being in quarantine? That must suck. I know, that sounds disgusting. I'd being in quarantine, actually, um, all joking aside, uh, lots of people have been stuck on ships yeah. quarantining and it sounds like hell. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So big sympathies out to such people. Oh, yeah. yeah. So at this point, the understanding of how this disease was spread was based on the theory of miasma. Okay, okay. Now, miasma theory, that's very interesting. Would you care to explain it? So miasma theory is based on the idea that diseases spread by the air. Mm, yes, okay. So at the time, and up until 1880, this was the common understanding as miasma does mean bad air mm. uh, same as the ori origins of the name malaria oh is that is, is that what area means yeah mal area oh yeah of course it does huh. at the time everything from cholera to chlamydia was believed to be passed on this way and miasma was believed to have come from rotting organic matter and general filth <laughs> general filth yeah um, oh, correction. The word actually is the is ancient Greek and it means pollution. Oh, okay. Not bad air, but okay. same kind of thing. Yeah. But this is the reason why there is the idea of plague doctors stuffing the end of their mask with dried herbs. What an aesthetic. I know. And also why uh, during times of illness, people went to the country to take the air. Take the country air, yes. Yeah, because it was believed to be better. I've seen Sherlock Holmes. I know, I am familiar with the theory. Or... <laughs> Uh, yeah, that happens in a lot of old-timey books, actually. 
people like mm-hmm. having to go to the countryside to take in the air. Yeah. That's why you get things like sanatoriums, which aren't the same as insane asylums. No, that would be yes, that would be a sanitarium. Yeah. A sanatorium is, as it sounds, a place that is sanitary. Yes. That's all. So they believe disease travelled through bad smells, not through dirty water and dirty hands. Because as we know at this point, surgeons did not wash their hands. No, they didn't. Doctors did not wash their hands. Well, I don't know. I've been watching the news and apparently the jury's still out on that. <sighs> I'm kidding. Goodness sake. A theory put forward um, around the time of the third pandemic by someone called Dr. William Farr, who will reappear later on, but he was assistant commissioner in the 1852 census and a supporter of the miasmatic explanation, mm-hmm. suggested that not only was the was the cholera outbreak due to concentrations of miasmata, or decomposed matter, along the Thames, but also due to the elevation of certain areas. He put forward the idea that certain uh, topographical features could stop disease similarly to a vaccine. Oh, so what, the mountains were purer or whatever? Yeah, or higher up areas in London would have better air. Which, I mean... In a way, they would. That's almost correct. Yeah, but not quite. <laughs> we're so close. I do want to point out, though, it is important to note that why, while miasmatic theory was overall incorrect mm. and eventually replaced with germ theory... It did at least understand the correlation between uncleanliness and disease. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like you tried. There was an attempt. Yeah. It's, it shows a kind of basic understanding. I mean, at this point, it was only around 10 years until Joseph Lister worked out that sanitizing tools made patients more likely to survive. So back to the second pandemic. Because they believed that it was spread by miasma, they ordered the following in 1831 in the London Gazette. And I shall quote for you, because you, I know you love a quote. I love a good quote. Please, quote me up. So, decayed articles such as rags, cordage, papers, old clothes, hangings, filth of every description removed, clothing and furniture should be submitted to copious effusions of water and boiled in a strong lye. Drains and privies must be thoroughly cleansed by streams of water and a chloride of lime. Free and continued admission of fresh air to all parts of the house, and furniture should be enjoined for at least a week. I mean, they're getting there. Yeah, but also, hey, we've got a great idea for how to get rid of this waterborne disease. Cover your entire house ah. in water. I mean, the drying part is also quite important, I should think. True. The pandemic reached Britain by the end of 1831, mm-hmm. appearing first in Sunderland, then Gateshead and Newcastle because these are port towns. They are. From there, it spread down to London and the rest of the country. Oh, no. In London alone, it claimed over 5,000 victims. 5,000? 5,000. What what, what kind of time frame was that? So this is between 1831 and 1837. Mm Okay, that's a lot of people. But again, as we mentioned earlier, that's also... the amount of people that have to have it before that amount of people can die. Right, of course. So there were probably... I don't have the number of how many cases there were, but for that to be the amount of death is pretty big. And you can just be you can just be asymptomatic, like, completely. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic also spread at this point to mainland Europe, uh, to Canada, the USA, Mexico, and the Caribbean. Just ruining everyone's day, huh? Mm-hmm. So this one was a a big one, and it actually led to the passing of the Public Health Act, as well as the Removal of Public Nuisances Act in 1848. 
Oh, the removal of public nuisances act. Now, mm. refresh my memory on that one. So there was an 1846 nuances removal and disease prevention act, mm-hmm. uh, which was designed as a kind of temporary law to help stem the spread of cholera. The act in specifics was set out. It set out procedures for the removal of nuisances and increased the powers of the privy council to make regulations for the prevention of infectious disease. What does that mean? How does what is a nuisance? I don't know. Is it, it doesn't specify. Is it like in um a weird side note? Hot but in um no, I was actually no. That's a great example. In um <laughs> in Japan, in the lead up to the Tokyo Olympics in the sixties. Oh yeah. They wanted to prevent like homeless people, but also artists, like performance artists, from like being around and fucking up, you know, their ah. pristine city. So they they yeah. called them like these degenerates and social perverts or thought perverts i forget i forget the exact tone they use and then there's one group of this one collective of um artists called i think it was high red center they were very well known they put on like cleaning gear you know like white cleaning gear and they got little mops and they went around tokyo just cleaning little bits of the streets really meticulously (laughs) like as a performance art piece i have a, a more specific explanation of what nuisances are for you okay i found it on parliament.uk japanese performance artists <laughs> the term nuisance covered uh things like dwelling houses or buildings that were fo- so filthy and unwholesome as to be injurious to health uh-huh. any foul or offensive ditch gutter privy cesspool or ash pit no my home <laughs> the keeping of animals including pigs or cows in a way that could endanger health and accumulations of dung manure offal filth or refuse oh, okay i imagined it being people rather than things but that's so did that, i yeah that's interesting okay mm. so all this brings us to the third pandemic and i will say it's not clear where the second pandemic's ends and where the third begins okay just kind of dipped down and then dipped right back up again Mm -hmm, more or less so it's it's theorized that this one started with a surge of cholera in bengal in 1839 yeah okay okay although the official time period for this one is 1846 to 1860 gosh that's um yeah that's quite long i imagine this is a big one happening that long (laughs) oh geez don't even because it will i know but yeah, it had a similar spreading pattern to the second pandemic, mm. reaching China, the Philippines, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Sri Lanka by 1845. Okay. In 1847, there was a second surge in Russia, spreading along the Caspian coast, okay. down through the Black Sea towards Constantinople, into the heart of Russia, and into Latvia. Oh god, so that's the first time it's kind of spread that far, right? I mean, it got into Europe during the second one, but for it to go in both directions mm. is is relatively new but between 1847 and 1851 around 1 million died in russia from cholera mm-hmm. right. um in 1848 cholera reaches england Woo. yay we did it lads <laughs> spreading north and west to claim scotland wales and ireland yeah. This was by far the worst outbreak for England, much, much worse than the second one. Right, yeah. Since it claimed over 14,000 victims in London alone. Jesus Christ. Um, Ireland was also hit extremely hard as it was still suffering with the Great Famine, meaning its people were already weak from starvation and fever. Of course. Oh no. Mm-hmm. 
it's weird when you look at history and go, oh wow, these two things happened at the same time. Yeah, yeah, like 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 Anne Frank and Martin Luther King were born in the same year, but like that's like... horrible. I hate it. Sorry. How dare things? How dare things be so close together? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> By the 1850s, cholera is now pretty much everywhere. It spread to the USA, Mexico. The Crimean War has spread it from France to Southern Europe. Damn Crimean War. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's happening at the same time. <laughs> Cases appear in Scandinavia, Colombia, Guyana, the West Indies, several several African countries, uh, including Ethiopia, Tunisia, Uganda, Mozambique, and surprisingly, Madagascar. Madagascar? Yeah. Now, if anyone listening has played Plague Inc., you know how difficult it is to infect Madagascar. And I've tried so hard. Mm. All I want to do is take down Madagascar. Don't isolate that, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> it's like there's three places in Plague Inc. that are impossible to infect. It's Madagascar, Iceland, and Greenland. And it's just, once you've got those places, you're like, oh, okay, I'm doing good now. Can you get Antarctica? Um, I don't think you can. I don't think it has a dense enough population. Yeah, it's just, what, eight blokes in a weather station. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the thing. Oh, no, wait, that's the Arctic. Never mind. Is it? I thought it was... Oh, well, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> so, again, like with the second one, uh, and the first one, the blame game starts going round. Yeah. So, for example, Tunisia starts blaming Europeans because this was the first time they'd had a cholera uh, outbreak. Mm. They blamed it on Europeans travelling to their country. Weird. That's never happened before. That's quite a... Yeah. That... <laughs> mm-hmm. England continues to blame India and, you know, South Asia as a whole. Oh, yeah, but why were you in India in the first place? Yeah. Why were you there, England? We Come know. on, England. And the rest of Britain, Scotland's not guilt-free. <laughs> no. Um, and then you have America. Now, unsurprisingly, America blames not only Irish migrants, oh, but also uh, black people, because they've never done that before. I don't think... This, I'm, but... Surely most of them were not there voluntarily. Well, by this point, I mean, there were... Enslavement was starting to ease, from ease. my understanding. But it, but, yeah. it, but it wasn't gone. Oh, God, no. But no. what happened was, because, you know, they had to give them somewhere to live. <laughs> Out of the goodness of their hearts. Yeah. Black people tended to live in the worst bits of land hmm. and have less access to good sanitation and healthcare. Hmm, funny that. Definitely has nothing to do with that. It's just that they're spreading a disease. Yeah. Did they find a way to blame Mexico as well? Because that would kind of complete the... Not yet. I'm sure if they really put their minds to it, they could have achieved that. Yeah. Come on, American dream. <laughs> Blame everyone else. So, before we return to Britain for our kind of main event, I thought we could have a small break. Oh, okay. Definitely to drink some water, because water is good for you. Yeah, I found this great water outside, like in a bucket. I'm going to drink that. Oh, great, great. Mm. That sounds like a really good idea. Um, and definitely don't think about how um, some of the watery diarrhoea that cholera causes can look like rice water. Don't what? think about that. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I'll see you in a bit. It's an awful mess and a bad case of cannibalism. Quote by Master Corporal Bob Bisson. If you want to hear more bad cases of cannibalism and indeed awful messes, make sure to listen to Casting Lots, a survival cannibalism podcast.
Okay. So, now that we're back and hopefully hydrated... I'm very hydrated. Good. We're going to return to Britain at the beginning of the 1850s. Mm. Good time, I think. Mm. Well, uh, <laughs> industry is booming. Is that good, though? Kind of no. Mm. Never mind. <laughs> so, at the beginning of the 1850s, for a while at this point, cholera had seemed to go dormant. Mm. Which is a thing that it does. Like I said, with the, the kind of time periods of these pandemics, we don't know if these are exact because cholera can just go dormant. Right, okay. But around 1854, a second wave went through Northern Europe, bringing us to our title topic, which is fun. Wonderful. Let's, let's set the scene. Ah, it's 1854. We're in Soho in London. Probably not dissimilar from Soho now. A lot dirtier. I don't know. Mm. So to put us into perspective of what Soho is like at this point, mm. as we as we know generally from the Industrial Revolution, London is extremely overcrowded. Big old melting pot. Oh yeah. Like there's just people kind of stuffed into every place that people can be. Yep. Gotta get them boys in there. Yep. The London sewer system has not reached the area by this point, leading to extremely poor sanitation, mm. with slaughterhouses, cow sheds and grease boiling dens all emptying their waste onto the street. Oh, to work at a grease boiling den in the 1850s. <laughs> what a dream. life that would be. Many houses had cesspits under their floors, meaning filth leaked both into the houses... And onto the streets. Uh, the government's solution to this? Why? Pump the waste into the river, where the water supply comes from. You can see how this went badly. I think that, I honestly think they'd do the same thing now if it happened again. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, by the way, if you look at the poverty map. Yes, I'm looking at a copy of it right now. I'm sitting next to it. Which isn't from that f much later. I think it's about... 20 years? The poverty map, the, the, the Charles Booth one, I, I assume you're... Yeah, that's from 1889. Okay, so 30 years. Yeah. But if you look at Soho... I'm looking at Soho. There's not a lot of the kind of lowest colour, which I think is dark red, if I'm remembering. Black is the lowest of the low. Oh, black. Yeah. There's a lot of kind of navy and... I have this map pinned on my wall. You do. Yeah. So uh, black is the lowest class, which is uh, mm. vicious semi-criminal. <laughs> yeah, I know. And this this map's quite surprising because a lot of stuff, like, it has vicious semi-criminal right next to red, which means well-to-do middle class in a lot of areas. Yeah. But the, the fact that there's not a lot of black mm. in Soho no. tells you that that area was already improving by that point, which I think we can potentially relate to this. Oh, yeah, yeah. In a roundabout way. Yeah. So, as we mentioned earlier, at the time miasma to blame in a way it was because we've got a lot of sewage mm. and waste going into the water so although it was to blame it was in the water right now i know you like a main character i do love a main character who's our main character introduce me to him her them enter john snow interesting wasn't expecting that <laughs> not the newscaster not the game of thrones character Let's get that out of the way right now. Just some guy called Jon Snow. Yeah. Also, interestingly, 
not Scottish. Oh, I I was doing some reading in the break, by the way. Joseph Lister isn't Scottish. Um, I'm sorry, <gasps> I made a fool of myself. I was thinking of How um, dare you? I was thinking of uh, Fleming, who uh, the, the penicillin see. guy. No, Lister was yeah. was English. I apologise. You can have him back. Thank you. It is interesting. I always get him and Robert Liston confused. What did Robert Liston do again? Robert Liston was supposedly the fastest at amputating limbs. <gasps> that, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. The one who killed three people in one go. 300% fatality rate. Ain't bad. Mm-hmm. He cut off, he killed the person who he was amputating. Yeah. He cut the fingers off his assistant and a person in the audience died of shock. That's pretty funny. I mean, so that's very funny. It's, it's tragic, but oh, absolutely. In retrospect, funny. it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. So, John Snow. Yes. He was born in 1813 to a labourer's family in York. Heck yeah. Um, as the first of nine children. Oof. I expect he's used to telling people what to do in that case as the oldest. Yeah, absolutely. At 14, he was apprenticed to a surgeon in Newcastle upon Tyne. Mm. Whoop, whoop. That's pretty. That's a pretty good. You can do that now. Just mm-hmm. you know, get a cushy internship at a major city hospital at the age of fourteen. <laughs> can do that. It was during his apprenticeship um, that he first encountered cholera, as the second pandemic was going through the country at the time and hit a nearby mining village. Oh, oh, yes, and that would have not been good because problem with mining villages communities and mining is that a lot of it is very close together oh yeah mm-hmm. not a lot oh, of social yeah. distancing there no but this meant he became very well accustomed to treating the disease right as well as how it presented and how it seemed to spread in 1837 he began working at westminster hospital mm-hmm. and he joined the royal college of surgeons in 1838 and that is the one in london not in Scotland. Yeah. Graduated from University of London in 1844 and was admitted to the Royal College of Physicians in 1850. It only took him six years, huh, between graduation and getting a job. That gives me hope. It does. I'm, I'm grateful mm. for that. <laughs> so it's important to note he was never particularly a believer in miasma theory as due to his first-hand experience with the disease, he believed correctly that the infection entered the body through the mouth. Right. He hypothesised that the disease was waterborne and published these thoughts in an essay titled On the Mode of Communication of Cholera in 1849. They were so long-winded with the essay titles back then, weren't they? I mean, that's actually not that bad, but... (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I went to my my partner's graduation and when they were giving out the PhDs, it was like... When is this title going to stop? This t- we've been here for half an hour just listening to the title of your goddamn PhD. And also your yeah. name, because I pre- they put my full name on my graduation. And I'm like, I don't, I oh, don't recall like, asking you to include my middle names, but that's why we've been here for four hours. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. This paper went ignored for the most part, as things do. But Snow did persevere and would be able to prove this theory in about, you know, five years. So after completing his formal education, he set up a practice in Frith Street in Soho mm-hmm. um, as a surgeon and general practitioner, which is rare because usually surgeons were not also doctors. You can't do that nowadays. Nope. <laughs> but surgeons were viewed as kind of gentlemen, if you will. Yeah. Is it that, Now, that's why surgeons are still called Mr. or uh, Miss, Mrs. Mm. I think. Makes sense. Like. 
yeah, like dentists too, actually, but like surgeons are always referred to as like Mr. Smith rather than Dr. Smith, even though they are ah, doctors. I see. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But they were also always known for kind of being covered in blood and, you know, the reason that they didn't wash their hands was that they, they believed the smell of blood showed that they were a surgeon and very important. That's also why I don't wash my hands at work. Mm-hmm. So it's important to note that his practice was less than a mile from Broad Street, mm. which is now called Broadwick Street. It's still there. So you can visit it once you're allowed outside. <laughs> and from here, he studied the 1854 outbreak. Now, the reason I brought up Broad Street is because at the time, he believed that this was the epicentre, and he was right. Hmm. He began interviewing people in infected houses, slowly building a dot map right. to show, his, you know, to basically prove his theory. And the more people he interviewed and the more dots went onto the map, the more it became clear that they were centred round a water pump on the corner of Broad Street. Oh, God, this is so great. This is like, this is like a detective story yeah. where they're trying to catch a serial killer, <laughs> but, you know, the killer is cholera yeah it's what's called epidemiology yes yeah and what a study it is uh -huh. not we grateful for it oh absolutely <laughs> why did it center here though on the pipe that pipe in particular mm. i don't know tell me why because everyone in the area got all their water from this one pump right and the source that this was coming from was contaminated it's as simple as that <sighs> Even if cases were further away from the pump, the infected admitted to either preferring water from that source mm -hmm. or that their kids went to school near it. Right. Okay. There were a couple of anomalies with this particular theory, as there was a prison nearby that had, I believe, I think I'm quoting this correctly, no cases, as well as a brewer's, which also had no cases. Wouldn't both of them have their own water supply? Exactly. There we go. Exactly. And also the people who worked at the brewery also drank a lot of beer because oftentimes yeah. beer was cleaner than water. That's why people drank so much beer in the olden days. It was mm -hmm. safer. <laughs> it was safer. There is one outlier, well, two technically, but they, they count as one that I think is very funny. <laughs> so t uh, in his you know research, Snow discovered that there had been two isolated cases way away from the Broad Street pump. Mm -hmm. Specifically a widow in West End Hampstead. Oh, that is far away. And her niece in Islington. Both pretty far away. Yeah. How did that come to be? Well, the widow, who now had digs in Hampstead, had used to live on Broad Street, or near enough to Broad Street, and had a liking for the water. She just really loved, mm, mm, pollution, yes, good. To the point where she would buy water bottled from that pump. Whoa. Mm-hmm. What did that, 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 that water must have tasted mad good. Like, well, according to her. Uh, you, you said people were going out of their way to use That's it, true. apparently. That's true. What did, Maybe... what, how good was, how good did this water taste? I don't know, but they have, I mean, they have fucking water bars now, so, you know. Do they? Yeah. I, I've been out of London for a while, man. I've forgotten what form stupid bars can take. The reason her niece in Islington had it is because her niece had been visiting and she was like, oh my god, special guest, they'll get the special water out. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. 
How pissed would you be if you went to someone's house and they were like, oh, since it's a special occasion, I've got a little beverage, and then they bring out a <laughs> bottle of fucking water, and you're like, what? And they're like, I got this from a pump near my old house. Yeah, it's my favourite. I'd mm. be like, oh, I'm actually allergic to water, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, although his initial studies, because his initial studies didn't start with the the map, the map was a kind of once he had the idea, the map started. Mm. While these didn't conclusively prove his theory, it was strong enough evidence to convince the local council to remove the handle from the pump. Good, but Mm. I expect a lot of people were pissed off. Yeah, but in the long run, they're probably happier. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But this just meant people weren't able to get water from this particular source. A lot of sources... this This is funny to me, but also kind of irritating. A lot of sources credit this particular action with ending the outbreak but even snow himself kind of denies this um he believed that the outbreak was already in decline right and that he just kind of helped you think people had, had maybe realized what was going on or yeah was... but also it's kind of it will burn itself out to a degree okay let's hope so but to quote he released a later version of on the mode of communication of cholera in 1855 um, and to quote that he said there is no doubt that the mortality was much diminished as i said before by the flight of the population which commenced soon after the outbreak but the attacks had so far diminished before the use of the water was stopped that it is impossible to decide whether the well still contained the cholera poison in its active state or whether from some cause the water had become free from it well he's uh, he's a modest fellow yeah but it but but it stopped like yeah. around this time. Okay, mm-hmm, that, that's mm-hmm. that's good. He did, although he didn't feel like this particular thing had helped. He did go on to prove that water quality was causing cholera, showing a correlation between the sewage polluting the Southwark and Vauxhall water company, mm-hmm. and it's the high number of cases related to that as compared to other sources like the Lambeth Waterworks, who got their water from the cleaner upriver seething wells which is where my original student digs were nice yeah it's near kingston very nice that's pretty classy pretty classy area yeah interestingly my actual student accommodation was directly across the road from the reservoir so cool that was pretty cool my student accommodation that i lived in in london was uh next to the uh the job center where dennis nielsen worked (laughs) oh no are you impressed I'm so impressed. Hmm. <laughs> Interestingly, the initial source that had contaminated this particular pipe was discovered when they realised that the pump drew from a well that was dug less than three feet from a cesspit. Oh, ew. And inside this pit, which had once been under a house, was a nappy belonging to patient zero. A nappy caused mm-hmm. all that? Just one nappy? Because it had poop in it. I... I yes it did but yeah. like okay that's all it took because it multi it because it's a waterborne the moment it's in water it will start multiplying that's so gross mm-hmm. Ugh. Mm-hmm. now in a surprise to no one <laughs> once the outbreak had subsided the government immediately replaced the handle on the pump obviously having only really responded due to the kind of urgent threat and pressure which you know is nothing like. It's nothing like what happened with COVID at all. No. 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 Essentially accepting that it had helped, 
meant admitting that Snow's theory of how cholera spread would have to go through. People would have to start accepting that cholera spread through fecal oral transmission, which disgusted the general public. It is disgusting, and then they'll have to like do a bunch of stuff to change that, which can't be bothered. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately and sadly, Snow died in 1858 with his theory still widely disbelieved. No! Yeah, he died aged 45 from what I think was a stroke. That's unfortunate. Also, that's very young to have a stroke. Mm. It wasn't until a later outbreak in Bromley by Bow in 1866 when Dr. Farr, do you remember him? I do remember him. Yes. Uh, Realised Snow had been right and that water played a major role in the spread and went on to order people not to drink water unless it had been boiled. Vindication for Dr. Snow, I guess. But... Vindication! <laughs> but he's still dead. The final proof that cholera was spread through contaminated water wasn't actually found until 1883 when a German scientist called Robert... Now, this is an unfortunate name and you mustn't giggle. I'm going to giggle. I'm going to giggle whatever yeah, you it are. is. Robert Koch <laughs> isolated the bacteria Vibrocholaria. Right. His findings led to major changes in sanitation throughout Europe and the USA, putting an end to cholera epidemics that had ravaged them throughout the 19th century. Hooray! So it's all gone. Oh, hmm. Hmm. What? It's not? <laughs> yeah, it's worth noting, as I mentioned at the beginning, that cholera is not a thing of the past. No. Unlike things like smallpox and polio, as we mentioned, it is still about. Is, po is polio still about? I don't know, actually. Col polio might still be about. I think it possibly is. I, I mean, if the fucking that. Karens in the USA being anti-vaxxers have anything to do with it, it will. It's one of those things that, like, isn't really a concern you have anymore, mm. if that makes sense. You don't see, like, young men in calipers anymore. No. Mm. Um... <laughs> it's it's not like a concern people have about like what if my kid dies of polio but yeah. like I, d I feel like it's one of those things that hasn't technically been eliminated mm. unlike smallpox which absolutely has which has been decimated yes yeah there's still two sources of smallpox in the world oh just in case oh good I'm, I'm always worried in case we re you know like the Svalbard seed centre yeah you know just keep <laughs> keep him somewhere in case we need to well it's literally just in case someone else has a source of it and uses it as chemical warfare. <laughs> Great. Yeah. But cholera sits in the same camp as things like typhoid and the bubonic plague, in that it still continues to affect the poorer regions of the world. Yes. Yeah. While places like the UK consider them diseases of history. Yeah. Although, we, who knows, we could be bringing it all back. Mm. The most recent outbreak of cholera happened in Haiti after an earthquake that displaced over uh, a million people. When was that? That was... Uh, 2010. That was in the... I remember that being in the news. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. Ten months after the earthquake, a huge surge of cholera appeared, with over 650,000 cases and over 8,000 deaths. Oof. Um, in 2016, a hurricane hit the country, and by that point, the number of cases had risen to over 780,000 and the deaths over 9,000, with 800 new cases a day since 2016. It's been a really tough decade for everyone, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. It would seem, really, to me, that waterborne diseases like cholera are given a lot less attention and, and weight in the modern day. Yes, now we're all about those fireborne diseases. <laughs> Airborne. Yeah, sorry. Ah, the fireborne nation attack. <laughs> But yeah, we're, it's weird that even when we have adverts on TV, you know, from charities like WaterAid and um, and the Red Cross and things, many assume 
that everyone has access to safe, clean water and effective sanitation and sewage. Yeah. And in reality, cholera is still extremely dangerous. Yeah, yep. And as with most diseases, it threatens the most vulnerable. It threatens children Mm -hmm. and the elderly and those already immunocompromised. Yep. And it's worth mentioning, because I know that was a thing with COVID, that even if a disease does just threaten these groups that doesn't mean that you can go and be a dick yeah that is the it's like oh no it's fine it's only it's only affecting old people and it's like oh i guess guess i'll die like yeah like sorry like when when do you start giving a shit when it starts killing ordinary people who don't have like gross immune systems apparently yeah like I don't even know how to phrase it. Honestly, I was going to say something and then I'm just like, I'm too angry. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah. This is a time of angry. Mm, It's like, you don't, people don't have to be healthy by your standards for you to give a shit about them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's the, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's, it's one of those. I mean, all of these kind of do, all the things we talk about do relate back to what, everything that's happening today at some point. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And just thing like clean water is just something you take for granted so much. Yeah. And I mean, even I, I, I said poorer countries, but Michigan in the USA. Oh, Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Flint, and Michigan, other places, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Still does not have access to clean water. Anywhere where fracking has happened. Yep. <laughs> doesn't have access to clean water. This isn't just an issue in you know quote unquote developing countries this is an issue everywhere <laughs> well what the usa is just a developing country with a gucci belt on um <laughs> jeez that's actually you should maybe remove that i might have just declared war <laughs> i mean i said fuck putin in another episode so i think we're okay oh uh, you think you're okay but he's like you're on the end of his sniper rifle right now <laughs> at the moment obviously I, I haven't been recently but at the m- as far as I know, there is a replica of the Broad Street Pump, Ooh. which you can visit on what is now Broadwick Street, which is in Soho, a very nice area of Soho. I believe there's a veggie prep. Well, if there's a veggie prep. <laughs> there's also a pub named after Jon Snow. Oh, that's nice. Which, if I remember correctly, has a bunch of historical articles and artifacts that you can look at or talk about or something i think it has them there for you to look at i did try to go for a wee in there once it did not go well i got directed to a public toilet oh. the irony of which is inescapable not entirely lost on you I hope. <laughs> that sounds nice god i can't wait to go outside again and like visit places yeah i briefly went to columbia road flower market and i was like this is so That's exciting no, it's all a, it's all a treat i went north for a couple of days <gasps> It was great. Yay! It was just yeah. We saw we saw. I mean, I've already seen Loch Ness, but we drove past it, and it's just a big old mm. loch, and that's always impressive. <laughs> we saw Ellen Donnan Castle, mm. which is not that impressive. I'm gonna come out and say it. It's not that yeah. impressive. It's very small. Is it one of the ones used in Outlander? Uh, probably. I've never actually watched Outlander. <laughs> Even though they filmed some of it like really close to my parents' house, like literally two streets away. Mm. Which is hilarious because they live in a new build, but and I I've gone for job interviews at places that have used it as a location and like it's now their selling point. Like yeah, Outlander was filmed here, and it's like okay. Oh yeah. And so if I do if I if I work here, I'm gonna have to answer a lot of questions about Outlander, aren't I? Yeah. 
unfortunately. Yeah. I started just talking about Outlander with a great deal of bitterness for a show I've never watched. Um, <laughs> it's why I like bringing it up every yeah. so often, just to upset you. It, it does upset me. I'm upset. <laughs> and you know what? The Sky Boat song is a great song. It is. Wonderful folk song. And now people are like, oh, it's the Outlander theme. And I'm like, no, it's a folk song. It's a folk. I used to play that on recorder in primary three. <laughs> How dare you ruin its beauty and majesty. <laughs> All right. That brings me to the end of uh, my my topic. Cool. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I, I did. I didn't put you off your food too much. Nah. Do you have any ideas what you're going to be covering? You know what? I actually don't. <gasps> it's going to be a surprise. <laughs> what a scandal. No, I have some... Because uh, a lot of the stuff I've been studying recently is in the lead-up to a uh, talk I'm doing at a conference next week. And mm. the topic of the talk is about uh, dead bodies, specifically female dead bodies, and how they are portrayed in a tourist context. Okay. Yeah. So that's basically all... I'm, I'm trying to... Because I haven't finished it, even though it's in less than a week. Um, and I have, like... That's pretty much all I've been reading about for the last few weeks. But there are some examples in there that I'm... I, not not just not just female dead bodies, but just tourism around dead bodies in general. Yeah. Um, like, one of the pieces I was talking about was Charles Byrne, a.k.a. the Irish Giant. Mm. So... Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, you know who he is. Mm-hmm. So one topic I'm interested in doing at some point, maybe next time, is looking at kind of the British sort of history of freak bodies, to for, mm. for want of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd be interested in that. Yeah, which is something that doesn't really... I mean, it does kind of still happen. That's Well, that's, mm. that's for the episode to talk about. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, sounds good to me. Interesting. Well, in that case, well, I shall be very excited for next episode and yes. bid you good afternoon. Good afternoon. The, the wind has died down and the rain has stopped. Don't drink the water. I'm going to drink the water. <laughs> good night. Night. <laughs> Thank you.